Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we're going to conclude our podcast series on uh, philosophy and theology. And we're going to conclude with um, Thomas Aquinas and how he saw the issue of philosophy and theology. And this really is going to become um, the pattern for the future uh, until we get to, uh, we'll make brief mention about uh, Kant and Schleiermacher. Um, maybe at a future date I'll uh, continue this series in talking about how modern people, how the Enlightenment and then um, how modernity saw the division between philosophy and uh, theology. But um, but for now we'll just talk about uh, Thomas Aquinas. And uh, this again, I wrote a 20-page paper on this, and so um, I often find that my my words off the cuff aren't nearly as good as my words if I read them off the page. So I'm going to read through most of this paper just as it is. I have found in the past that uh, my podcasts where I'm mostly reading the paper but with explanation tend to be my most popular podcasts. So that might be a format that I'll follow in the future as well. Uh, So picking it up here at the beginning in the introduction, since at least 399 BC, when the philosopher Socrates was executed for teaching atheism, there's been an important tension in the realm of thought between philosophy and religion. I think I already mentioned this in an earlier podcast. Sorry about that. The problem has been variously described as faith versus reason, Athens versus Jerusalem, and more recently, religion versus science. Whereas modern thinkers tended to see theology as the queen of sciences, the modern solution has been to divorce the two, relegating theology only to the main domain of the psychological and subjective. According to Peter Kreeft, this dichotomy is in fact the major issue between medieval and modern philosophy. So maybe I will mention a little bit about the difference between how moderns see philosophy and religion. Um, So Schleiermacher um, is somebody that uh, lived in the early 1800s, and Immanuel Kant lived just before him. Uh, And uh, through the influence of those two, especially Schleiermacher, he would have said that... um, the essence of, of piety of religion is religious feelings, the feeling of absolute dependence. And so religion is something that's located within us, within a person. And as, you know, whether that you get that through singing, whether you get that through walking in nature, whether you get that through doctrine and study, it's the feeling that you get of, oh, wow, God, you're amazing. Um, or whatever it is, however you would express it, that feeling is what religion is about. So from that path, we get a whole way of looking at religion, where it's subjective. I mean, what you think is religion is is different from what I think about religion, because it's your feelings. Um, There's no way I can judge your religious experience, because that's your religious experience. That's not my religious experience. Um, And there's no way to... I mean, theology um, is a bit of a sham, in a sense, in a in a modern context because how do you how do you write books and books and books about your feelings and then try and say that other people's books are wrong i mean it just is a little bit nonsensical in a modern framework because theology and religion is about our feelings um and the feeling of absolute dependence so uh, it's really important for us because we're swimming in this water this is how we tend to think I mean if you are going to study theology in in a university today you're going to go to the humanities department and then a subset of the humanities is going to be theology Uh, 
Um, in Thomas's, Thomas Aquinas's day, theology would have been, you know, the queen of the sciences. It's the most important uh, discipline in the university, and everything kind of branches off from theology. Everything ties back to God. Um, as well, I'm skipping ahead. I had mentioned this somewhere later in the paper, but it's important. We're on the topic now. Let's talk about it. Um, this is because for Thomas Aquinas and for everybody during this time, Muslims and Christians, I mean, God really exists and he has really communicated. And so in the Bible or in the Quran, whichever one, you know, whichever mode you're, you're in, whichever religion, there is real information that is to be had about God and God actually exists. You know, if, if we're just talking about our feelings, it's hard, it's hard to make absolute statements about feelings. But you can make an absolute statement about a rock, because a rock really exists. You can say how big it is, how much it weighs, where it is, uh, where it has been. Um, because God exists, and, and those statements can be right or wrong. Those propositions can be right or wrong, based on the reality that actually is that rock. So um, Thomas Aquinas would have seen God in, in that way, that you can say things about him, where he has been, what he is like, um, etc. Um, we're going to find out that he's going to say you, there's very little that you can know about him because he is so far beyond our comprehension. But the things he has revealed about himself, we can know positively. Um, and they have an objective basis in the reality that God actually exists, like the rock and not like our feelings. All right, I'm going to skip the rest of the introduction and dive right into uh, how he saw philosophy and theology. Um, so we talked about the two bubbles of philosophy and theology. He's going to just reframe the whole discussion by making one big bubble called science. And he says theology is a science and philosophy is a science. And they're all part of the big bubble, which is scientia, which is science. So right away, that pushes us to say, what does he mean by science? Because clearly, uh, in our context, when we say science, what we usually mean is as opposed to religion, or what we often mean is opposed to religion or opposed to um, art or subjectivity. We usually mean science is um, uh, a discipline which treats of the natural world through observation and experimentation. Um, we would see science as not being able to speak about God because he's not part of the, of the natural world. And we would not see science as treating of theology because we would tend to follow Schleiermacher in seeing theology as based on emotion, which is necessarily outside of the domain of, of science, uh, unless we're testing chemicals in our brain or something like that, uh, opioids that make us feel emotions. Um, so, again, Aquinas is before... Uh, modernity, he's pre-modern, and he's seeing science in a classical sense. Now, um, the way that Plato and Aristotle, especially Aristotle, would have seen science is it's a discipline that starts from first principles and then moves with logic towards conclusions. So uh, a first principle you could say, um, well, a really classical um, syllogism is all men are mortal, Socrates is a man, therefore Socrates is mortal. Uh, just a basic way of illustrating what even a syllogism is, a basic deductive argument. Um, all men are mortal. This is a first principle. This, this is a self-evident principle. Um, anybody that has observed the world can say everybody dies, everybody is mortal. A second, 
observable principle is that Socrates was a man. Uh, it's something that is a little bit hard for us now to determine, but it, you know, closer to the time of, of Aristotle, it would have been fairly easy to, to, to determine that Socrates was a man, because and he died, he lived, he died, you know, he was a normal person. So the second premise seems to be true. Therefore, we can move to the conclusion that Socrates was a man, because he died. Um, and so that's basic, that would be science for Aristotle. We start with something that we know, that you can prove, that, that everybody agrees on, uh, and then we build, you know, add something else that we know everybody agrees on, and then we can move to something we didn't know, that Socrates is mortal. Um, or we can move to, you know, new conclusions. So this is science for Thomas Aquinas, is starting with first principles and moving forwards towards conclusions. Now, he answers the question, he proposes the question to himself, well, hold on a second. Um, science starts with first principles, but religion uh, starts with um, re revelation that God tells us about himself, or as the church has discovered, you know, um, has, you know, building on revelation, has determined certain doctrines. And so, you know, you have scriptures and you have church tradition as things you receive on faith. And yes, from there we, we can learn other doctrines, we can we can proceed with the with the process of theology. But there's certain things you start with that, that are just, you know, you receive them on faith. And Thomas Aquinas is going to say, this is very similar, it's, it's the same sort of thing as science. Um, you start only you, instead of starting with first principles, you start with revelation. Well, how can it be the same um, sort of a thing if it starts with revelation? And he said it's just like how um, an inferior science receives its first principles from a higher science. For example, and I'll just use in our co modern context some examples, um, medicine receives uh, its first principles from disciplines like biology and physics and chemistry. Um, the doctor, as he's studying, as he's doing his practice, um, he's relying on what people have discovered about how how molecules work, how chemicals interact, how molecules you know create cells in the body, and all this stuff. He hasn't he hasn't done that work, but knowing that work has been done, he's going to take some things from that. For example, you know, water is two hydrogen atoms, and H2O and one oxygen atom. Um, and he's going to use water, and he knows what it is, and he's going to use it in his practice. Okay, so water for him becomes a, a principle, self-evident principle, and he's going to move forward from there. And so in this way, a lower discipline can receive its principles from a higher discipline. And so he says, well, Theology is like that. We receive our uh, principles from revelation. We God tells us certain things, and we take those on faith and say, this is true. And then we move forward from that point. This um, It's important to note at this point that um, the sorts of information that we get from God are not different in kind. And I think this is what I was trying to say earlier. It's not different in kind from the sorts of information that we find out about the world. Um, so... Being influenced as we are through Schleiermacher and modernity, we tend to think that religious um, ideas are kind of emotional, spiritual, wishy-washy sorts of things. Um, for Aquinas and for people in his time, they would have seen information about God as being 
true in the very same sense as that rock is brown is a true statement. The, the statement that God is three in one, that God is Trinity, that God is love, these statements are true in the same way, that it's the same kind of knowledge, that this is a real knowledge that, of, of something that actually exists. And so within the bubble of science, and all of science is you start with what you know, and then you work through right reason and logic, and you move forward to you know learning new things. That's what science is. Um, on the one side, you have um, sacred doctrine, and on the other side, you have philosophy. Now, is it possible for, um, for philosophy to talk about God and for God to talk or for theology to talk about the world? Yes and yes, um, but the two remain distinct. The thing that makes philosophy philosophy and makes sacred doctrine sacred doctrine is that um, on the side of philosophy, we're starting with sensory data and, what, and uh, first principles. Things that you can observe in the world and things that, that you can observe in the world and everybody agrees with you, basically, that what you're saying is true. It's self-evident to everybody. That's what is philosophy. That's what, um, I mean, we would tend to say that's science today. But for, for Aquinas, within his framework, that is philosophy. Whereas in sacred doctrine, over in the bubble of, um, quote-unquote, religion, um, you're starting with revelation. But you're still going to move forward with right reason, with logic, with, um, uh, you know, moving forward with, with thinking rightly and making good arguments. So the difference between the two is revelation versus uh, sense, information, and first principles. Now, Aquinas is going to say, and this is an important point, um, which might not seem very important to us, but he's going to say that knowledge is really possible outside of, of theology. So um, Augustine would have said that... Um, Philosophy will take you a certain point, and then you really need God. And I think Augustine would have said that you can discover a lot about the world through philosophy itself, but you're going to need God to finish you know, the, the quest. Uh, and presuppositional apologetics would tend to say um, that philosophy is very, very incomplete without Christianity, without theism to finish the equation. Um, but he would say that he would say that the intelligibility of each being is in that it was created by God. Um, so Plato would tend to see um, the world is understandable because of the forms, because there is absolute reality out there in the world of the forms or in the mind of God or something like that. Whereas Aristotle would say we find truth by looking at the world. And in observing the world, we, we can ex extract from that first principles and, and um, statements that are true and generalizations, so to speak, about what is, what is true. Uh, and Aquinas would follow the second path of uh, Aristotle of saying, um, God created the world, he created it in an orderly way, and he made order in the world. And so because we look at the world, we can see the order, therefore we can determine real, we can find real truth from the world. And so um, Aquinas would say that real truth is available outside of Christianity. 
You don't need to be a Christian to be a scientist. You don't need to be a Christian to discover mathematics or to discover physics or to know a lot about the world, even a lot about ethics and about what is right for Aquinas. Secondly, it's possible for philosophers to treat of God, to speak about God, to think about God. So this is something where the seminary I studied at uh, was very influenced by Karl Barth, and Karl Barth flatly refused, the theologian Karl Barth, that uh, real knowledge about God could be known outside of Revelation. He felt that the only way we could know God is through the Bible. Um, but uh, years ago, um, in Metaphysics 6, Aristotle said, or he spent time uh, using first principles and philosophy to say, if the world is this way, what must God be like? And um, this eventually became known as natural, um, natural theology. Philos philosophers just using sensory data and uh, first principles and the discipline of philosophy, trying to understand what God is like. And this is something that Augustine talked about too when he said that um, through following the philosopher's quest, he was able to know uh, God's eternal um, attributes, his invisible attributes and his, etern uh, his qualities as uh, it mentions in Romans 1 that there's some things we can know about God. So we can know about God because God has caused the creation. You can know about the cause of something by looking at the effects. And so we can look at the effect of creation and, and see behind that the cause, which is God. And um, um, unlike presuppositional apologetics, unlike uh, Anselm and the ontological argument, Thomas Aquinas did not think that, that the proposition God exists or... Um, that God himself was a self-evident principle. But he did think that when we look at the world, you can build a case for God through natural philosophy. And he comes up with the five ways of proving that God exists, um, which I'm not going to get into at all in this discussion. Um, but he would use natural theology to say, um, just using sensory data and um, first principles, we can move to a place where we can we can talk generally about God and say a being like this must exist uh, based on this evidence. All right, and following uh, the terminology of Avicenna, he would say that uh, this is a very difficult path. It's um, Not everybody can be a philosopher, and certainly not everybody can discover um, natural theology. Natural theology is going to be the last part of theology, of uh, philosophy that, that is to be discovered because... You know, you're starting with a basic understanding of the world, and then you're moving up to kind of ethics, and, and how did we all get here, and, and finally we arrive at God. So it's kind of the last thing, because Aristotle starts, you know, at the ground level and works up. Um, so it's not open for everybody, but for those that can pursue it, um, there's rich rewards here. In fact, all of um, natural theology is pointed towards God, or all of philosophy in a sense uh, is pointed towards God. So, if it's possible to find God uh, through na the natural world, why do we need revelation? Why do we need special revelation? Um, after all, there's lots of people running around following Avicenna during the time of Thomas Aquinas, who would basically just say, well, philosophy is what we really need, and uh, theology is kind of a subset of that, and we don't really even need uh, 
need to append, uh, annex theology on. We, we could just go on with, with theology, with philosophy, sorry. Um, so he would say that, that we definitely need uh, theology. I'm sorry, we, we definitely need sacred doctrine. Okay, I need to clear something up here. Um, so I've been saying theology. What I should have been saying is sacred theology. Because for Aquinas, because I, as I just discussed, uh, he has natural theology, which is in the bubble, in the section of philosophy, starting with first principles and, um, and uh, sensory data. You can examine God from that perspective. There's also sacred theology, which is theology based on revelation, on the Bible and tradition. So this is why I can't just say theology. When I'm talking about Thomas Aquinas, I can't just talk about theology. I need to say sacred theology because he has natural theology and sacred theology. Um, in my paper, one of the first questions I ask here is, is sacred doctrine the same thing as sacred theology? Because um, he uses both terms. They seem to be somewhat interchangeable. And I conclude that they are the same term. Sacred doctrine and sacred theology are the same thing as far as I'm concerned in Thomas Aquinas. Um, we'll wait to see what my teacher says when I get that back. I might have got that wrong. But as far as I understand, there's sacred doctrine, which is the same thing as sacred theology. When you and I, in our modern context, talk about theology, what we usually mean is sacred theology. But he would want to make a distinction and say it is possible for philosophers to talk about God. And so there is natural theology and sacred theology. And so as we're seeing, um, it might be good to just see there's one bubble, which is science. And on the left we have, um, we have philosophy. And one subset of philosophy on the left is natural theology. Okay? This is still on the side of philosophy, but it's treating, it's talking about God. Now, on the right side, this whole thing is theology, it is sacred theology. This whole thing is sacred doctrine. So, what is the usefulness? What, what's the purpose of having sacred doctrine or sacred, sacred theology? So, first of all, he says there's some things that um, we simply can, could never know through natural theology natural theology such as the trinity uh, such as salvation by grace through faith these aren't his examples his example specifically is the trinity and the incarnation we never would have found that out uh, aristotle as smart as he was he never would have figured out that god is three and one never um, we needed revelation to tell us that we needed revelation to tell us that god became man to save us from our sins um so there's some things that are just beyond the ability of us through sensory data of the world and through first principles drawn from the world to discover heavenly realities. Secondly, even things that we can discover through the world. So Romans 1 talks, let's read Romans 1 actually. Romans 1, 19 to 20 says, That which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world has invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they or we are without excuse. Um, so there's certain things about God that we should be able to determine from just looking at the world and reasoning backwards from the rationality of the world. And we should be able to just look at the world and say, well, clearly this was created by somebody, this was designed, and that somebody, you know, is moral, ethical, has our good uh, at heart, etc. Um, 
but the reality is that often, because of our frailty as human beings, um, sometimes not liking the conclusions we come to, sometimes just being born into a culture that's mistaken on fundamental points, um, we're going to fail to discover them, or discover them only with an admixture of many errors, says Thomas Aquinas. And so, even on places where um, natural theology should be able to discover at least that God exists, that he is good, that he is powerful, that he is the creator, oftentimes they're not going to find that. And so we need revelation to help us out. So in this way, it's a little bit similar to Avicenna again in saying that uh, sometimes theology helps, quote-unquote, the common person, or just theology tells the same thing that philosophy could tell them. There's overlap in that sense. And theology just helps philosophy on some matters. Um, and so for the, these two reasons, one, there are some things beyond our reach, and there are some things that are should be within our reach, but are very difficult to determine. And um, so for both these reasons, we should have uh, revelation, but also because... Um, he believes that salvation is only through Jesus. It's only through the proclamation of the gospel that we are saved. And so um, it's ethically required. Uh, it, it, it is um, ethic, There's an ethical reason why God needs to give us revelation, not that he's obligated, um, but uh, there's an ethical reason why we need to share the gospel and why we need to hold on to sacred theology and revelation is because... This is the only way to find out about salvation, which is, you know, the only hope for humanity. So he would say, yes, we absolutely need sacred doctrine. Um, so this would push back against some in the modern day, much after Thomas Aquinas, that would say, well, we don't really need the Bible anymore because we can find out all that we need about God just from understanding the world and uh, first principles. He would say no, because there's some things that God has revealed to us through scriptures that we couldn't find any other way, specifically those things that pertain to salvation in Jesus Christ. And uh, further, um, and this has already been mentioned, but I'll just to underline it as we finish this, this section here. Um, natural theology can be very helpful to sacred doctrine or sacred, sacred theology through apologetics. There's ways that we can prove that God exists using the world and using first principles uh, that are going to communicate to non-Christians or to people of other religions that understand, you know, that that look at the world and look at first principles. And so from these, we can build a case towards God. And again, uh, Aquinas has his five ways, but there's a lot of different ways of doing apologetics, um, using, you know, the world and first principles as our starting point. We can reason towards God. So there would be some people in today's context that would reject that, that would say, we just start with the Bible, you know, preach the Bible and that's it. I determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. As Paul says, um, we don't use philosophy or any of that mumbo jumbo. We just preach the gospel. Uh, Aquinas would reject that. He would say, no, there's good stuff to be used in philosophy and we can lead people to Christ uh, through the use of, of philosophy, even um, natural theology. We should probably mention as well, um, natural theology, through the course of history, uh, theology and philosophy kind of had a divorce after Thomas Aquinas, and then through the modern era, then theology became something very different, and natural theology became very, very important to the point where it was almost used to, um, to judge or to squish uh, revelation, to judge or to 
um, to reject uh, sacred doctrine, sacred theology. And I think that explains why people like Karl Barth would want to reject natural theology because he's he's pushing back against people that would say um, that that would that would uh, seek to destroy Christianity based on natural theology. Uh, but this wasn't uh, the context that uh, Thomas Aquinas was working within. Okay, so um, is it possible then we have these this clear delineation between philosophy on one side and theology on the other? Um, is it possible for sacred doctrine to make use of philosophy? And uh, we talked a few podcasts ago about how Tertullian would say, no, what hath Athens to do with Jerusalem? Um, we can't use philosophy in as we're working out our sacred doctrines. Um, so Thomas Aquinas, there's at least two helpful metaphors that he uses. I don't think either of these are original to him but he brings them into the discussion and uh, they become useful. The first is that theology is the queen of the sciences. So I've been asking you to um, imagine this bubble, this circle, and on the left is, um, is philosophy, on the right is sacred doctrine or theology. I need you to just shift that, uh, is it 45 degrees? So now philosophy is on the bottom and theology is on the top. I know it hurts, it hurts your brain. Uh, but this literally, I was having such a hard time understanding Thomas Aquinas, and then I literally twisted, turned my notebook 45 degrees, and everything made sense. So for him, sacred doctrine is higher than philosophy in a number of very important uh, ways. Um, so what, do you, what does he mean by higher? He gives uh, an example is um, politics versus... Um, the discipline of political sciences versus the discipline of um, the army or military sciences. So, um, obviously, uh, politics is based on the end of creating a good society that's fair, that's equitable, that's stable, that provides a good place for everybody. The military, the purpose of the military is to protect society. And so that's a lower end. It's part of politics, but it's a lower end than politics itself. So that's a lower science. And probably under that would be, you know, how to organize your troops, how to, you know, there'd be sub-disciplines within each of these. And he said, okay, so theology has the highest end. It is the worship of God and the divine vision of, of you know, seeing God and being caught up in worship of him. And so this is, this is the ultimate goal of humanity. So it's the highest science in that sense. And um, just as the higher science of politics can make use of martial, uh, the martial sciences or the, the science of, of um, military, um, it can use those things. Maybe a better example, he doesn't use this, but maybe a better example would be law. So uh, law, the purpose of law is justice and, and uh, seeing that, that evildoers get punished. And this, this lower end is part of the higher end of you know, creating good society. And much of law becomes a part of politics. Uh, it just gets, you know, it, it, it is something that, that starts to compose the higher science. And the higher science is actually built up of law and military and, and these different other things. 
In the same way, sacred doctrine is the higher science that can make use of these other things. In fact, at times it, it is built up with a composite of lower sciences, but it still remains the queen of the sciences. So a good example of that would be the Kalam cosmological argument, which is probably the strongest argument for the existence of God, which uh, you can look at that on my uh, sermons podcast. I have um, the Big Bang number one uh, in my apologetics class, where I basically prove uh, or provide a strong evidence for the existence of God from the Big Bang itself, uh, because all things that, that begin to exist have a cause. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. Um, so there, sacred doctrine, you know, religion, Christianity, dips into contemporary cosmology, and it takes the Big Bang, it takes uh, the logical syllogism that all things that begin to exist have have a cause, that it takes that idea, which is, you know, formed outside of Christianity, purely on philosophical grounds, and it makes use of that for a um, theological end. But in so doing, theology still stays theology. Uh, sacred doctrine still stays sacred doctrine. It just makes use of a lower science to prove one of its points. In much the same way that um, a politician might say, make use of law or might make use of military logic to um, make a new uh, mandate for um for the country, or make a new law for the country, make a new policy for the country. But his discipline stays politics. His, his end is to create a good society for all, all of his citizens. Uh, he doesn't become a lawyer, he doesn't become a soldier, but he's using those things to build up his science. And so in this way, um, theology becomes uh, the queen of the sciences, because it makes use of all the other sciences. Also because all the other sciences find their ultimate end within sacred doctrine, within sacred theology. Um, because sacred doctrine studies um, the relation of God to his creatures, everything is either part of God or it's created by God. And so sacred doctrine is able to touch on everything. And because, you know, the worship of God is the highest end of, of humanity, it it is what everything is pointed towards, so to speak, and so it is the queen of the sciences. And so that leads to the inevitable question, well, does that mean that everything becomes sacred doctrine? If uh, philosophy is studying nature, but ultimately, you know, everything is pointing towards God, uh, a science is determined by, by what it studies, so is everything basically studying God, so therefore everything is theology? And Thomas would say no, because you can study one thing, for example, a rock. Um, you can have a lot of different disciplines studying that rock, but they're studying the different aspects of the rock. One is studying the color of the rock. One is studying the weight of the rock. The other one is studying the chemical composition of the rock. And another might be studying, you know, the purpose of the rock. Why is the rock there and not somewhere else? Or, or what's the grand reason why the rock is here? And so sacred doctrine is going to study the whole world in the aspect of everything is made by God and is purposed towards the worship of God. That's what sacred theology is going to study. All these other things are going to study, you know, their proper object, the, uh, 
the physicality of it, the mathematics of it, the chemistry of it, etc. And these, the sciences that start with sensory data and first principles are going to stay, you know, secular studies. But they get subsumed under the larger umbrella of the queen of the sciences because the queen of the sciences is able to make use of them in making sacred doctrine. That point is a little bit hard to understand. Um, I hope that I made it clear. Uh, otherwise, you can read my paper on my blog once I put it up there. All right, so one more point before we close. Can philosophy contradict sacred theology? So there's going to be points where uh, the Bible says one thing, and what you're discovering through sensory data and um, first principles is going to contradict that. Uh, so what do we do at that point? And here again, he's going to resort to his idea of uh, sacred doctrine as the queen of the sciences to say um, a politician is able to look down into the law courts and say what you're doing is wrong because it contradicts you know the greater good of society and so you know the supreme court or the, the highest level can change a law within a lower science but the lower science can't reach up and change something in politics uh, and so in that way, because theology, sacred doctrine, is the queen of the sciences, it's able to reach down and correct the other sciences. Uh, but the lower sciences aren't able to reach up and correct it. And so in this way, um, any contradiction between science and religion is resolved in the direction of religion, in the direction of Christianity, in the direction of, of the Bible being true. And so this, it has to be noted, is um, at least in part what lays some of the background for uh, the Galileo trials, as well as later science and religion conflicts. Because um, Aquinas said, look, theology should be able to know science better than the scientists do. It can make use of science, but also can see the bigger picture and see you know, what should be right and what should be wrong. Something I neglected to mention, it kind of went with um, uh, sacred doctrine being the queen of the sciences, is that it's able to use philosophy as the handmaiden of, um, of theology. So um, sacred doctrine is, is able to go about its task, but using philosophy. And this is something that uh, Tertullian made use of philosophical concepts to, to do good theology, often. Um, but he did, wasn't admitting that he was using philosophy to do this. And uh, Thomas Aquinas was able to admit, look, we are able to use you know, logic that was really defined by Aristotle, and we're able to use um, deductive and inductive reasoning as, um, as, as Socrates and Plato were using, to use these within theology. But we're starting with um, theological principles, and we're moving forward from there. Uh, but we're using ideas and, and ways, modes of thought developed from philosophy to do our theology. Uh, so in this way, um, philosophy becomes a handmaiden to the queen of the sciences, which is theology. Okay, um, that got a lot more meaty and uh, complicated than I thought. It would if you if you held on to this point. I congratulate you. Um, it's very difficult to understand Thomas Aquinas, and I hope that I understood him fairly well because uh, I wrote a big paper on him. And if I didn't understand him, then I will fail that paper. Um, it would be good at this point to wrap it up with some personal thoughts. Um, 
My main personal thought at this point is that I don't quite understand Thomas Aquinas yet. Um, the school that I'm studying at is um, explicitly uh, Thomistic. I'm studying at Southern Evangelical Seminary out of the States somewhere. I forget where. Yeah, in North Carolina. And um, so I'm trying hard to master Thomas Aquinas and understand where he's coming from so I know where they're coming from. Where I'm coming from is um, a Reformed, therefore an Augustinian perspective. And so when I did Augustine, um, I really understand that way of coming at things. And I understand um, the usefulness of that. Uh, William Lane Craig comes from that tradition and that perspective. Um, but I want to give Thomas Aquinas a fair hearing. And so this paper was kind of my attempt to understand him. And uh, it's really important historically to see how he made that distinction, and then from him, natural theology kind of takes on a life of its own. Philosophy eventually goes its own way, and theology goes its own way. Uh, and then they have more confrontational relationship from then on. Before Thomas Aquinas, the two were seen as one, again, through the mind of, of Augustine. And so from here, I guess... Um, the best I can say is I'll keep you posted about uh, my progress on it and whether I become uh, a Thomist, uh, whether I become in, convinced that Thomas Aquinas' way is the right way of doing things, or whether I stay committed to my Augustinian roots. And um, I guess on that note, I'll sign off this, this uh, series. And I'm hoping to talk more about my paper on Augustine and um, as well talk more about some of the major turns in uh, philosophy. I hope you have a good day, and um, I hope this podcast has been a blessing to you. Bye.